Well, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Thank you, music team, for guiding us to the cross. We are going to be looking here this morning at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I'd like to take the month of August to take the time to set the focus for the next ministry year. You know, our ministry year runs kind of concurrent with a school year. And one of the things that I like to do is take the time to unpack kind of the focus of what we're going to be looking at in the, in the ministry year ahead of us. And, uh, and this year, I've got kind of a, a rather ambitious challenge I want to put before our church. So much so that it's going to take me the whole month of August to explain this challenge to you. But, uh, but I really am excited about this. been spending a lot of time uh, really in prayer, in preparation, and discussion with the leaders about this. And, uh, and I'm excited to share this with you. And, and what I want to do here is just set the table in the big picture of what the challenge that I want to put before us for this next ministry year. And then, uh, and then we'll jump into Proverbs. But the challenge for us is this. I, I have one word that I want to use as kind of a, the, the word that I'll use throughout this next ministry year. And the word is engage. Engage. And here's what I mean by that word. The call of the Christian is to engage aggressively in every sphere of life distinctively as a Christian. That's our collective call. If you are in Christ this morning, God doesn't just save us and then just whoop, rapture us right to heaven right away. What He does is He says, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to leave you here for an appointed amount of time. And in that appointed amount of time, you've got a certain set of gifts and talents and a personality and, and, and the way God uniquely made you. And however that is, whatever that gift is, whatever that talent is, whether you're an introvert, an extrovert, whether you, you can stand up and teach, or whether you like to, to build things, whatever it is, however God has wired you, God wants you to aggressively engage in that sphere distinctively as a Christian. Not react, but engage. And that's my, going to be our challenge for this year. I want to challenge us to engage in every sphere of life. Now let me give you the big picture of what we're going to talk about. And then over the next three weeks, Lord willing, I'll unpack these a little bit further for you so you can see it. But, but here's the overview. If we look at life, we can basically, I've kind of taken it and divided it up into three spheres. We, in, in terms of our life, in terms of the spheres of engagement, the first thing we do is that we engage each other. Meaning we're in a set of relationships. We have families, we... We have parents, we have children, we have whatever. Wherever you're at in life, whatever sphere you're in, you've got relationships. You've got relationships within the body of Christ. You have relationships at work. You have relationships everywhere. The challenge I'm going to put out this year is that we're going to spend the next year focusing on how to help you engage in all your relationships distinctively as a Christian. Every relationship. That's one sphere we're going to be focused on. Another sphere we're going to be focused on is our community. God has left us here in this community, and He says, I want you to engage this community distinctively as a Christian. 
So we're going to talk about that, and I'll put out some challenges and some teaching, and we're going to give you practical ways to help us as a church engage this community with the gospel. Thirdly, we are to engage with the world as well. Right? God says, I want my name to be known everywhere. The whole point of the mission is that it would, it would start within that smallest sphere, within your, within your closest knit relationships, and just keep building out and out and out and out until all the nations know the glory of God and hear of the glory of God. And God calls those nations to be one with Himself at that great glorious day at the end of consummation of the ages and all the nations are there worshiping Him. And He says, I want you to be a part of that process as well. And so we're going to focus over this next year on engaging the world as well. Now you might say, how are we going to do this? Let me give you the big picture plan. And I know one thing, I'm going to frustrate a lot of people because I'm not going to give you a lot of details. But this is so big, it's going to take me a few weeks to unpack it. So here's the flyover. The flyover is this. Every month, we're going to have a focus for that month over the next year. So for example, September, the focus will be on the community. We are going to be putting out special challenges, special times of teaching, special times of prayer. I want to set up a prayer meeting time where we're praying together once a week. And we are focusing on, as a body, the community. We're going to spend the month of September doing that. Then in October, we're going to talk about the world. And then in November, we're going to talk about each other. And then the next month, we're going to cycle back through those three again. And we're just going to keep alternating community, world, each other, community, world, each other. Just keep cycling through. Each month focusing, each month giving a challenge, each month giving an opportunity for you to participate and grow from everything from marriage retreats and seminars to help you in your family life to opportunities to get involved in the community to more opportunities to get involved in the world. Now, why do this? Why do this? Because here's the reality. God did not save us so that he could hide us to hide it under a bushel, right? The song says, no, don't do that. He saved us so that we would engage. Engage in our relationships, engage our community, engage the world. And I know as a, as a just a, from preaching and teaching the word of God and being in it so much, if we don't have an outlet, I'm going to explode. I can't handle any more of the Gospel of Luke as we've been studying it unless we start doing something with it. So we're going to spend time focusing on that. Now here's how we're going to, what we're going to do in the month of August. I want to just set the table theologically for, for us over the month of August. And then we'll pick back up our study of the Gospel of Luke. But here's what we're going to do. This week, we're going to talk about wisdom. You can't engage in any sphere of life unless you understand the relationship between engagement and wisdom. Wisdom is actually the truth of God engaging in the community, engaging in relationships, engaging in the world. That's what wisdom actually is. And so we're going to focus on that this morning. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to set the table to look at God. And we're going to see how God is a God of engagement. How God actually engages in this world. From the first moment of the sin when God is calling out to Adam, to God's call in your life, to God's uniting all things in Christ, He's an engaging God. And we're going to look at that. And then we're going to see, Lord willing, the week after that, that God calls His people to engage. And then, Lord willing, after that, we'll look at the fact that God calls His church to engage. 
And that's what we're going to focus on in August. And then, starting in the ministry year, begin to start giving outlets for this. And I am really excited about this. And, and I'll give you just a, a little bit of a personal reason why I'm excited about this. You know, I look back and I look at my life, and I can see three big moments when God disturbed me in a good way. First was when I was six years old. I think it was six or seven, somewhere in there. We left the church we were attending and went to another church, and uh, my parents became Christians, and, and, um, and I heard a hellfire and brimstone sermon. I mean, it was the real deal, hellfire and brimstone. It was, this guy was just pouring out the fires of hell, scaring the daylights out of everybody. Scared the daylights out of me as a little kid. I thought, I do not want to go to hell. Period. I just don't want to go there. I want to be with Jesus. And so I ran at the altar call. I ran down that altar. I'm like, I am not going there. And there was a legitimacy to that, to, to, to what was going on in my heart at least. Not necessarily that sermon, but, but what was going on in my heart. And, uh, and then when I was 11, my brother came back from some Christian retreat or youth retreat of some sort. And he, uh, he sat down and challenged me. And he said, you know, I just don't know if you really understand the gospel. I think you heard this kind of hell thing. And, but I, I want to make sure you know the gospel. And so he, he, he sat down and walked through the gospel. And I said, I believe that. And, uh, and that was at the age of 11. And then about eight years later, about the age of 19, God really gripped my heart. And, and at that moment, he said, I just really sense this, that, that my life's purpose was just to do what he created me for. I didn't know what that was, completely clueless about it, made a lot of dumb mistakes and did a lot of things I'm ashamed of in, you know, after that moment. But there was this sense in my heart that the reason why I'm here is to fulfill what God made me for. Not what I want to do with my life and what I want God to bless in my life, but what God made me for. And I can tell you now, almost 30 years later, that, that as I have been pursuing that since the age of 19, every time that that's been at the center of the pursuit of my life, I have always felt contentment. I've always felt satisfied. And I want you to know that same feeling. I want you to know what it is to move from just saying, I, I, I don't want to go to hell, to I believe in Jesus, to saying, I want to serve you. I want to live for your purposes. I want you to know that. And really the only way to know that is to say, okay, God, I want to find out how you've gifted me. And I want to use that gift and, and that talent and my personality and all that I am to engage as a Christian. It's going to look different for all of us. But as you do that, you really begin to start finding your reason for being here. And life begins to make sense a lot more. In fact, I have a little saying. It'll be up on the screen here behind me. This is one long run-on sentence. Grammatically horrible, but it makes the point. Okay? And, and, and this is something, just as, as I reflect on this, to really understand the key to life, and this really becomes what I hope becomes what you get out of this next ministry year, is this, and it's understand this, that the key to life is to understand that God made us who we are and placed us where we are so that we might make Him known in and through the way He gifted us. 
And there's a lot in there. But I really truly believe that. That, that the key to really understanding life, and I'm saying this a lot of just experientially over the past years, is that God made me the way He made me. And He made you the way He made you. And you don't have to be me and I don't have to be you. He made you the way He made you. And that's okay. And He placed us where He placed you. So that the way He made you, in the place that He placed you, that you would make Him known through whatever gifts and talents you have. And if you could catch that point, you'll be satisfied in God, in Christ. And so that's kind of a little bit of the underlying heart behind this idea of engage and how we're going to focus on engaging this fall. But in order to engage, we have to be wise. We have to understand wisdom. Because wisdom is actually the whole key to engaging. If you kind of felt disconnected and you felt like, boy, I should be doing something or I don't know how to do this, you have to understand something. The whole key that really unlocks living life distinctively as a Christian is to understand the nature of wisdom. And that's why we're starting here. Because wisdom is the truth of God applied and lived out in life. That's what wisdom is. And so if we're going to engage and we're going to focus on engaging, we have to begin with understanding wisdom. And so what we're going to do here this morning, we're looking at these first seven verses of Proverbs. We're going to see wisdom understood, and then we're going to see wisdom pursued. I'm going to show you how the text tells us to pursue wisdom. And if you catch this heart... And if you could really catch what's being said here, you're like 98% of the way there to live an engaged life, to live engaged in all spheres of life. So let's look at it here because I, I want you to see this today. Let's look at wisdom understood. Look here at Proverbs 1.1 with me. Notice what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we have this little introductory statement here in Proverbs 1.1. And I want to look at it here so that we can understand uh, the truth and, and, and the setup that's actually in verse 1. Verse 1 helps us understand really the whole book of Proverbs. And there's a lot of important truths in there. First, we just got to understand what is a proverb. When you talk about Proverbs, because, and the reason why we're, we're looking at this is that the Proverbs are called wisdom literature. And the Proverbs are actually the teaching of wisdom. In fact, the proverb is, is nothing more than this. It's taking a, a truth and applying it in a real-life context. So it's taking a truth from a nebulous, ethereal standpoint and bringing it down into space and time. I'll just give you an example. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read Proverbs 13.3. It says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He opens wide his lips comes to ruins. Now there's a lot of truth there, right? The person who just keeps yapping and talking is actually going to bring ruin upon their life. Why? Why will that happen? Because they're not, being, they're not showing any sense of control over their heart. They don't have self-control. And if we were to unpack this proverb, we'd begin to discover that we'd be start getting into the issues of the heart the issues of self-control, the issues of the mind, the issues of what you're thinking of. And suddenly, we can take that one proverb and delve into some very deep truth. But at its simplest point, what it's saying is, guard your tongue. 
problems come if you don't. So what the Proverbs do is they take these very deep, deep, deep truths. And what they do is they bring these truths into real life. But they do it in a very unique way. Let me explain to you how this happens. It's by an experience I had. One time I was in a very emotional meeting with some people. And, and the emotions were, were firing up. And, and I am an external verbal processor. So suddenly I have to start talking. That's that what goes on in me, right? I mean, you, could, you guys know this. And you send me like one email question. Hey, Steve. You know, and I send you like eight paragraphs back. Right? I just am a verbal external processor. That's just what I do. And so in that meeting, it's getting tense and, and things are starting to get fired up. And everything inside of me is saying, talk, talk. You need to be heard now. And then this other voice said, don't talk. And then a proverb came to mind. My favorite proverb. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. That's what's going through my brain. And suddenly, that proverb is doing something to me. It's revealing my flesh. My flesh wants to talk. It's revealing to me the righteous standard of God. Keep your mouth shut at this moment. Don't enter in. And then it's giving me something to pray about. God, help me keep my mouth shut. And so in that situation, I am praying, Lord, let me be wise and keep my mouth shut. See what Proverbs does? It not only reveals the truth. The way that it reveals the truth is it reveals what your flesh wants to do, reveals the righteous standard of God, and it gives you something to pray for. That's what Proverbs do. That's the wisdom of God. Isn't that the truth of God played out in real life? Now all of a sudden, God's wisdom becomes real. And now I can pray, God, keep my flesh under control. Allow me to keep silent. Lord, don't let me speak. And so what I have in Proverbs is wisdom. And when I have wisdom, I'm now beginning to engage biblically. I'm engaging with the righteous standard of God. Now, when we look at these Proverbs, in fact, one of the things we realize, if you were just to study the book of Proverbs as a whole and just really spend your time studying it, you're going to discover that Proverbs deals with several areas of your life. It deals with your intellect. It deals with your intellect. It, It deals with your ability to understand what God wants at any given moment. It deals with your instincts. Right? My instincts, talk, talk. Proverbs saying, don't, don't. Shape your instincts a little better. It deals with that. It deals with my moral virtues. It it helps me understand the moral compass through which I'm going to determine what's right or wrong when I have to make a decision at this moment. I'm facing a decision, an ethical decision. What should I do here? Proverbs deals with this. And Proverbs deals with your spiritual insight. It helps you understand and discern the very heart of God. It's incredible what's here. Because you see, what we have here is the truth of God applied to real life. And when we're applying the truth of God to real life, we're engaging the world. The way God designed us to engage the world. Now, if you look at this verse, look a little bit further here at verse 1 again with me. 
It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, notice, son of David, king of Israel. We get a little insight into some of the people. I don't think these were all written by Solomon, but most, many of these were written by Solomon. And this is going to give us some insight into the type of Proverbs that we're reading. Now, you might read this and say, okay, that's just telling me about Solomon. But remember this. Proverbs, when you talk about a proverb in a generic sense, many religions have Proverbs. Proverbs is just a literary device. It's practical wisdom. It's, you know, don't take any wooden nickels. How many of you know that phrase, by the way? Don't take any wooden nickels. Okay, good. Don't take any wooden nickels, right? That, that, is a, that would, in essence, is, is a type of a proverb. It's a saying. We use the term conventional wisdom for it. But many religions had proverbs. But what distinguishes these proverbs from being any different than any other Mideastern religious proverb? Well, it's the fact that we have the proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Well, what's important about that? Well, if we were reading 1 Kings 3, we would see that Solomon becomes king. God says, what do you want? And he says, I want wisdom. And God says, right answer. I'm going to back a dump truck up here and I'm going to dump wisdom on you like you can't believe. I'm going to unload wisdom on you. You will be the wisest person who ever lived. And suddenly this wisdom comes upon Solomon. And so when we say we are reading the Proverbs of Solomon, we're saying, wait a minute, we're not just getting conventional wisdom like don't take any wooden nickels. We're getting the very wisdom of God. You want to know how God wants you to act? You want to know what God would have you do? Here, this is it. It doesn't get any more practical than that. And so when we read this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, we are reading the very wisdom of God. In fact, it goes even further now. If we start looking here at verse 2, look at verses 2 through 6, we begin to see what we get from these Proverbs. Notice what we get. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying, these Proverbs do all of that. Now as I read through that, you probably said, what? That just seems kind of bulky there. So let's just kind of take these really quickly apart and look at it here. First thing he says is to know wisdom and instruction. The simple point here is he's saying, what is found here is what will help you understand how to live. That's what's here. You will understand the truth of God in your life right here. And then he says, not only that, to understand words of insight. Have you ever read something in the Bible and went, I have no clue what that means? Many of us have, right? You go through this, all of us have. We, 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 you read something, you say, what does that mean? What he's saying is, most of those truths are actually unpacked right here in Proverbs, put in time and space. If you want to understand the mysteries of God, here they are, fleshed out. It's a powerful statement. 
He says to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. When he says that, what he's saying is, okay, we all have to live in this world. We all have to live in this world. We all have to make decisions. How are we going to make the right decision? When we have to make a business dealing, when we have to buy something, when we have to sell something, when we've got to do something at work, when we've got to fill out our taxes, when we've got to deal with people in the world, when we have to, to, to handle a situation, how are we going to operate? What would righteousness do? Proverbs says, let me show you. Let me tell you how to engage biblically, righteously in this world. He says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, now, now, what about people in the world that maybe are academically challenged? They're not real bright. Maybe they got a condition or an issue or a physical issue. Or what about like a four-year-old? He's saying, do you realize that Proverbs can even allow a four-year-old or somebody with diminished capacities to actually operate in the very wisdom of God? That's how powerful this is. No one is outside of the bounds of being able to engage the very truth of God if they can study Proverbs. That's what he's saying. Well, what about the really smart person? Look at verse 5 then. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. He's saying even, even the person who knows everything benefits from the Proverbs, because even the things that they know, they can understand even deeper and more profoundly. So the amazing thing about the Proverbs is that they, they are so, in one sense, shallow that a four-year-old can swim in it, yet so deep that an elephant can take a bath. That's the width and the breadth of the Proverbs. That's what he's saying. This, this will guide you into the very heart of God. If you catch these Proverbs and you begin to engage the wisdom of God, you will be engaging this world the way God designed you to engage this world. In the personality and the person He made you. In the skills and the gifts that He's given you. So now here's the question. How do we get these is it just a matter now of me putting a Proverbs study guide together and teaching you Proverbs and having you go through and read a proverb a day and just and go through this? And How do we do this? Well, there is one thing you need to know. And if you miss it, Proverbs will be completely useless and worthless to you. There's just one thing. This is the most important thing. And if you don't get it, then don't even bother reading Proverbs. How's that for biblical counsel? Okay. And that's our second point here, wisdom pursued. How do we actually pursue the wisdom of the Proverbs? And I'm going to tell you, it is, does not begin with starting to memorize Proverbs. It does not begin with a memory plan that has you memorizing all of the Proverbs in one year. It doesn't begin with a plan of you reading one chapter a day and you can get through Proverbs in a month. It begins somewhere completely different. Notice where the author takes us in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is the key. But we do need to reconcile one little thing. 
Notice the ESV has the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. Some other translations have the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. A little bit of a confusion. Why knowledge? Why wisdom? The actual Hebrew word there is the word knowledge, but it's not the word knowledge that we would use for knowing something. Like, I might know your phone number. That kind of a thing. It's not that kind of knowledge. It's actually the word you could use there is the word cunning. But cunning in our vocabulary uh, denotes kind of negative feelings, right? He's very cunning, right? That wouldn't sound like a compliment. Okay, but, but here's what the word cunning actually means. Let me just illustrate it for you. When we lived in Alaska, there was this uh, little body of water called the Wrangell Narrows. It was between two uh, islands. And it's a very dangerous body of water, very narrow body of water. And there were lots of rocks, lots of rocks. And you could have about a 25-foot tide differential going on through there. A lot of water going in, a lot of water going out really fast. The veteran sailors knew how to get through those narrows. They could just make their way through those rocks. Whether they're on little skiffs or big boats, they could just make their way through that thing with ease. I would be scared to take a boat through the narrows because these rocks are dangerous rocks. One time we were out and, and there was this little creek. I'm out with a friend and we're at this little creek going up this one area. And I said, hey, can we go up the creek? And he looked at his watch to see what time it was. Looked at the tide book and says, nah, tide's beginning to empty. We'll hit a rock. We'd go out. Here's the thing. You never see the rocks. You can't see them. Water's moving so fast. But inside their heart, they know exactly how to navigate at what time of day, where the tide's at, what time of year, and they can just make their way through there. They have that same skill that my dad had driving around Chicago. He could tell you what time of day. It's 3 o'clock and I want to get here. He'll tell you what road to take. He knew where the construction was. He knew everything. That's cunning. We'd say it this way, instinctive knowledge. You know something so instinctively, you don't even have to think about it anymore. This word is actually just a synonym for the word wisdom, which you could have said, Steve, you could have bypassed all those stories and just said that, right? <laughs> but I like to talk. <laughs> and that little voice isn't saying stop yet. So I'm going to keep going. But what he's talking about is that you got this sense that, that the truth of God, the reason why knowledge is used there is that this truth of God is so wrapped up in your heart that you will always know the right thing to do. Wouldn't you like to be there? You would so know God and have such an awesome understanding of Him that in every situation, you made the right move. He's saying, you want that? The beginning of that is not read many Proverbs. He says, the fear of the Lord is where that begins. The fear of the Lord. It's an interesting statement. If we don't actually fear God, we'll never know Him. If we don't know Him, we'll never have biblical cunning. We'll never be wise. Because notice the rest of that verse. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. A fool is what? Someone who doesn't walk as if God exists. 
Someone who goes through life as if God doesn't exist, as if God isn't present. You, you know, a fool can be somebody who acknowledges the existence of God in one sense. But he lives his life as if God is not relevant to the moment. He lives his day as if God is really not part of the process at all. Just goes through life, doing their thing, responding in their own flesh, only coming to God when they can't solve their own problems. But if they can solve their own problems, manipulate, lie, and cheat their way out of it, whatever, they'll do it. But when it comes to God, they won't. Now you say... See, that, that's what a fool does. And so therefore, if someone isn't walking in the fear of the Lord, they might read Proverbs, but they're never going to say, God, I want to know you. And if they never say they're going to, then they're actually going to despise the wisdom. So what does it mean then to fear the Lord? Okay, because that, that, that's a big loaded term. The NLT Study Bible gives a great definition of the fear of the Lord. Let me read it to you. It's a wonderful definition of the fear of the Lord. They say the fear implies respect, awe, and at times knee-knocking terror. Isn't that an interesting definition? It also acknowledges that everything, including knowledge and wisdom, comes from total dependence on God. The fear of the Lord leads people towards humility and away from pride. With such an attitude, readers of Proverbs are more apt to listen to God than to their own independent judgment. And it's that last line that I want you to catch. You see, the fear of the Lord says this, God, you mean so much to me, I want to subject my thought about this to you. If you don't fear the Lord, then you're always trying to get God to adapt to what you think. That's a fool's errand, by the way. That makes you God and God you. God, I need you to adapt. Here is my agenda. This is what I had planned. I wasn't planning on this, God. This wasn't my agenda, God. How did you let me down, God? Why did you do this to me, God? God, you're this. God, this is what should have happened. God, I'm obviously wiser than you are. Let's get this straight. It's my brains and your brawn. That's how this relationship's supposed to work. And he's saying, see, that, that's what happens. If you don't fear the Lord, you instinctively fall into that. It's a fool's thought. That's why he says at the end, you despise the wisdom of God because sometimes the wisdom of God takes you to respond in ways that you don't want to respond and causes you to do things that you would never want to do. Now, here's the heart of the situation. I just kind of practically put it out there. I've had conversations with people, many people, right? They, they come in, they kind of lay out their problems and you begin to start asking, you don't, how much have you prayed about this? Oh, we've prayed. You've prayed a lot. Okay. A couple times I've actually given people assignments. I want you to write down everything you do for the next week for me. Write it all down. I'm not doing it to judge you. I'm not doing this to tell you that you're watching too much TV. There's none of that. This isn't like a critical thing. Just write down everything you're doing for the whole week. And they write down everything they do for the whole week. They put it back to me. And I begin to realize there is zero prayer in their life. None. Maybe a before-meal prayer. But no moment of really praying and saying, God, I need your wisdom. I need to submit and cast my cares upon you. It, it plays a minuscule part of their life. The reason why? They fear other things more than God. 
And the principle of life, you can pick this up in the Proverbs, is this. What you fear is what you serve. You realize that? If you fear losing your job, then you will serve your job. If you fear getting hurt by people, then you will serve protecting yourself from getting hurt by people. Right? If, if you fear not having enough money, you will serve working. Whatever that thing is that drives you, if you fear that you're not getting enough respect from people, then you're going to serve driving for more respect. If you fear not having your place and being recognized in, in the world, then you will serve finding a place in the world. What you fear is what you serve. So the question we always have to ask is, do I have a fear in my life that's greater than God? And when I say fear in God, I'm not talking about being terrorized in, in one sense. That sense of saying, God, I just, you are what matters most. You're what matters most. You're the one. You're the one that, that matters. I have got to serve you and bring glory to you. Sometimes I think about reading that description of Paul in 2 Corinthians where he describes, you know, how many times he was beaten, you know, five times with the, you know, 39 lashes and three times with rods. And I think to myself, I hate getting a shot, <laughs> right? Right, if you tell me I have to go get a tetanus shot, I'm telling you, this is like the worst thing in the world, right? I mean, I, I, I probably would evaluate, could potentially in my flesh, evaluate a mission field based upon the shots you had to get to get to that place, okay? And then there's Paul. He's like beaten and left for dead, and then he gets up and he goes into a town. And he preaches again. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, most of us haven't lived that life, or I don't live that life. And I'm not setting that up to say, you know, that's our goal, to find somebody to beat us with rods. But what I'm saying is, what is it inside of Paul that makes him keep preaching a gospel knowing that there's a, a, a greater likelihood that someone's going to try to take a big stick and whack him in the middle of the back 20 times with it? And yet say, I'm not going to give up. I think it's the fear of God. It's the sense, this is your world, God. You made it. And I want to live for you. And if your plan for me means I'm getting beaten, then it means I'm getting beaten. If your plan for me means I'm not getting beaten, then it doesn't matter. What matters is your plan, not the outcome. The fear of the Lord is what drives it. But our struggle in the flesh is what? To be a practical fool. We could worship God and then kind of go through our life and only pray when we can't solve the problem. Other than that, we meet and we talk and we come up with plans and dream and, and all of that. And I think this is why people have problems in their lives. And so the solution to engaging the world, the solution to being wise, the key to reading the Proverbs is to come down and ask one very hard question of yourself. Do I really fear the Lord and are there other fears greater than God? Are there other things that I am serving in my heart and my emotion that's greater than loving and serving and fearing God? The answer to that question begins the process, the honest answer to that question begins the process of taking us down the road to being wise. 
and to living for the purposes that God created us. So let's wrap it up. What does all this mean? The point of Proverbs is to unpack the very wisdom of God in someone who's saying, God, I want to serve you. You're all that matters. You matter to me more than anything in this world. Somebody with that heart, when they read those Proverbs, they absolutely begin to connect with the wisdom of God. And everything they do in life starts to be operated out of the wisdom of God. Now you might say to me, Steve, I agree with that. But if you knew my life right now, if you knew the problems I had, I think i got to get those cleaned up first. And then I can get involved with this engaged thing. And you know that I'm going to now refute that thought, right? <laughs> Here's the refutation of that thought. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. If you're feeling that, if that emotion kind of stirs up inside of you, just let these words heal you. I don't want these words to challenge you and beat you up. I want them to heal you. Listen to these words. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Some people might say, Steve, you don't understand. Everything's a mess in my life. And I say, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and God will straighten it out. You can't straighten the mess out. The best way to straighten the mess out of your life is to say, God, I want to fear You, and I want to engage this world with wisdom. And You'll straighten the mess out. Yeah, but I carry a lot of pain and a lot of baggage from all that I've been beaten up in this world. And I don't want to diminish that. Here's what the Word of God says. But don't turn to human wisdom to find healing. You see, fear the Lord and your, fr- your flesh will be refreshed. That's what will lift you out of the emotional downer. That's what will carry you out of the pit. That's where the hope and the healing comes from. So, if your life is a mess, fear God. If your heart is broken, fear God. And when we fear God, life gets straight. And when we fear God, our hearts get lifted. And I can tell you that this is true. I believe it's true because it's the Word of God. And I can tell you that that proverb in the past 30 years of my life has never been proven false. Ever. It's the truth. And so when we fear God, paths get straight. When we fear God... Healing comes to our soul. When we fear God, wisdom comes to our life. And when we fear God, we begin to walk in the way that God has created, with, created you for. And it will unlock all of the gifts and talents that God's placed in you, in the personality, in the person He made you. And when we fear God, we're living for the purposes He created us. So, I give you a prayer. Here is my prayer. This is just what I pray, and I put it down, not to have you say this has to be, you repeat this prayer three times and great things will happen, but just to show you maybe a way a prayer could look as a result of this.
God, I want to acknowledge You in all areas of my life. Give me a heart to submit my all to You. Help me to not follow the wickedness of my own flesh so that I can find the refreshment that comes from Your wisdom. And if you make a prayer like that, your, 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 your hourly prayer of your life, then read Proverbs. Paths become straight. Hearts begin to get mended. And we begin to engage for the purposes He created us. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray this together. God, we do come before You to acknowledge You in all the areas of our lives. Lord, we need to submit these areas to You. We spend so much time trying to problem solve and figure things out and let things run through. We all do. I do it. And yet, You're God. You're the God of history. You're the God of time. You're the God of every area of our lives. So Lord, may we just in every way acknowledge You everything we do, may we acknowledge You. So that the crooked paths and the destroyed paths of our lives would become straight and the burdens that we carry within our hearts would be healed. Lord, may we be wise in You, cunning in You, that we might serve You all the days of our lives and walk within the purposes we've been created. Lord, may we do this so that the name of Christ would be known everywhere, all the time. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.